Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Welcome. So happy to have you here this blessed, blessed Sabbath. We had people gathering this morning at Shabbat Fellowship. You will take note down in the description that we do now have the link up for registration and sign up for the Passover 2023. So please visit TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect and scroll down to the feasts and click there if you do want to register in for the Passover. Also, you can just click right on the link here in the chat or in the comment section below. We are in Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel today, and we are going to dive right in to chapter 5. Assyria, Assyria, of course, in this chapter will invade the land. So we have the breakdown of that, the commencement prophecy from Yeshayahu, Isaiah the prophet. And then in the latter part of chapter 8, we see the commandments, fear Yahuwah, fear Yahuwah, and heed his word. If we're not heeding his word, then do we really have a fear of Yahuwah? And so there is this connection between honoring and fearing Yahuwah and having a discipline and a diligence to study his word. They're not divorced from one another. You can't say that you love God, but then you don't keep his commandments. It's intricately connected to covenantal blessing. And I believe that this misunderstanding and misappropriation of the faith has been the downfall of the modern church. Not understanding the covenantal terms of how it's about fearing Yahuwah and keeping his word. That is the covenant. And we'll get into that in the latter part of the teaching today. So let's delve right into chapter 8 and verse 1. Moreover, Yahuwah said to me, Take a large scroll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Machah Shalal Hazbaz. The plunder hurries, the prey speeds along. And I took with me a reliable witness of record, Uriyahu the Kohen, the priest, and Zachariahu, the son of Bechariah. And I went in to the Neviah, the prophet, and the Neviah, and she conceived and bore a son. This is how chapter 8 opens up. And this chapter, as with so many others, consists of this veiled, mysterious prophecy. And veiled, mysterious prophecies throughout it. And, and the sages... They differ in their meaning and in interpretation to the meaning of this. We've got, of course, this, this name that comes up. Maha Shalal Hashbaz. The plunder hurries, the prey speeds along. And there's different translations of that in your translations that you can see. But the two phrases, to hurry the booty 
or plunder quickly. That's another translation of that um, Hebrew word. To hurry the booty, plunder quickly. What does this convey? Well, it conveys the prophecy. The idea that plunder and robbery, destruction, they were looming. They were coming. They were looming ahead for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that they were looming ahead for Judah, and it will be accomplished quickly once it begins. Doesn't it say in, in the Revelation that he comes quickly? Meaning once it begins, then it comes quickly. Now the time of when until it begins, it begins we don't know how long that is but once it begins it's going to come quickly which gives us the understanding because this is a prophetic theme that will carry on into our days now Assyria the nation was coming down and a plundering quickly but you'll see throughout the scriptures there is this character called the Assyrian and the Assyrian is the end-time Antichrist that is going to come down from the north and plunder the west. The Assyrian, you'll see that throughout scripture. It's a type and an anti-type. So here we're dealing with Assyria, but in the end times, we're going to be dealing with the Assyrian, some kind of global leader that is going to plunder down from the northern hemisphere and bring forth, of course, chaos, mayhem, and it's going to be the same prophetic outlay of what? To hurry the booty, plunder quickly, meaning it will be accomplished quickly, once it begins. So wouldn't be, we be the people that would want to know the signs and the seasons? The Hebrew phrase there, Moedim, which is why we keep the feasts, because the feasts are prophetic shadows of things to come, good things to come, but also prophetic shadows of the timing of when things are going to begin, and we need to be aware of what? exactly the veiled mysterious prophecies that are going to be unveiled in this chapter so the first phrases or the first phrase is a reference to the invasion or plunder and it is at the hand of the Assyrian kings Shalmaneser and Shancheriv and they are the ones who destroyed the northern kingdom, commonly called the Ten Tribes, or Ephraim after the leading tribe. Now the second phrase refers to the invasion, which would be just a robbery. Now you have to look prophetically and geographically of what how this could possibly play out. Right now, in this world, are you being plundered and robbed and are billions and billions of dollars being taken and thrown out into a land of the north? Which is actually connected with Russia and some would say the Gog and Magog prophecies. And that's a whole other teaching 
going into the book of Daniel that we're not in, so I'm not going to get into that. But if you can make the connections, and I'm talking, of course, about Ukraine, and I'm talking about the robbery and the plunder that's going on now, just keep that in mind if a character arises that could be the Assyrian. Because Isaiah the prophet will declare from the beginning the end and the end from the beginning. And we have to be the ones that are able to thread the needle by seeing and being alert and being the people of the covenant, which is fearing Yahuwah and keeping his word and keeping ourselves in his word so that we can have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Because the nations are asleep, so asleep that they're flying the Ukraine flag when they don't even know where Ukraine is, and they haven't even ever been to Ukraine, and they're not going on holiday to Ukraine. They're just going along with the political chaos. But we see that we need to be what? A reliable witness a reliable witness of record. Not an unreliable witness like what they're doing in the nations. They're not reliable witnesses. They couldn't testify to anything about Ukraine, the history of Ukraine, or the financial system in the United States of America. They are very unreliable, but they are, of course, repeating the propaganda. We have to be reliable witnesses, and that is witnesses of his word, witnesses of the covenant, and witnesses of Yahushua. That's all we're to be. If we can just live a life of being reliable witnesses, then that's a good life. But you can never be a reliable witness first if you do not have the testimony and you do not keep the Torah. What kind of witness would you be? A false witness. You've got to have Yahushua and you've got to be in the Torah because the Torah is the truth. And his word is a lamp and a light and a truth and a path that is narrow that we shall follow. So the second phrase refers to the invasion or robbery. The first phrase, of course, the invasion and the plunder. Plunder and robbery, booty and spoil. By, of course, the second invasion or robbery would have been by Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the country utterly and then took them captive, Judah, into Babylon for 70 years. Now, and I took with me a reliable witness to record. So the two witnesses is again a signal for us, is it not? Do we see two witnesses of reliable record in the book of Revelation? Well, this is where it comes from. Of course, its origin is in the Torah. You must have the testimony of two or three witnesses. But prophetically, we see it here in Isaiah, and then that prophetic record is going to jump into the book of Revelation. But it's going to be the same setup, meaning you're going to have two witnesses of reliable record which are going to come out and unveil the time of when, when the implementation of judgment is about to come. This is what 
Isaiah is setting a foundational groundwork for us. So the two witnesses signal before any great hurry the booty, plunder quickly seen. So is there going to be a scene at the end of days where two witnesses will rise up before a great hurry the booty, plunder quickly seen? And what is that hurry the booty, plunder quickly seen going to be? The downfall of Mystery Babylon within an hour, right? So are you tracking with me? Because this is something that is from the Torah, prophetically set here in Isaiah, two witnesses before the hurry the booty, quickly plunder scenario. We don't know when, but when the two witnesses rise up, reliable witnesses, then, when, then it's going to happen. We know it's going to be mystery Babylon within an hour in the book of Revelation. And so here, the hurry, the booty, plunder quickly seen is established. I'll repeat that. The hurry, the booty, plunder quickly seen is established and it will repeat in the book of Revelation and it is always premised by a reliable witness or in the book of Revelation, a reliable witness is what? One witness? Two or three, but two. But remember too, after every great judgment of Yahuwah, his mercy overshadows his judgment. After every great judgment of Yahuwah, his mercy overshadows his prior judgments with restoration. And we're going to see that restoration, and you see it prophesied by another great prophet, Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 4. And I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you want. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 2. And said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, this is a Zechariah the prophet, I have looked, and behold, a menorah all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are on the top thereof. And the two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the Malak, the angel that talked with me, saying, Well, what are these, my master? And most people have no clue. This is the two houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah, Israel and Judah. These are the two faithful witnesses, and they're supposed to be witnesses in the greater exodus when we return to the land of the Torah and the testimony of Yahushua. The two olive trees are both congregations of Israel. And today, still, most people don't know. Right? And you start talking about the two houses of Israel, and people are like, what? You're like, have you ever read Jeremiah chapter 31? That's what Paul's talking about to the Romans in Romans chapter 11. How can you read the grafting in of the olive tree if you don't know who the olive trees are? Oh, you mean you could make up an absolutely new religion and just say that you're the olive tree? No, the olive trees as what? Are both 
houses of Israel, Israel and Judah, standing before literal bowls in the menorah of restoration, but prophetically before the bowls of judgment, both representing Yahweh. So yes, there's the literal bulbs in the menorah, but they are also standing, Israel and Judah, before bowls of judgment. Right here in Isaiah chapter 7, what are they standing before? Bowls in the menorah or the impending bowls of judgment? They're standing before the impending bowls of judgment that are going to be announced by the reliable witnesses. It's the same scenario that's going to unravel at the end. That's why I love the book of Isaiah, and it's so important for us to comprehend in these days and times because it lays out a structure for us that will repeat again. Everybody with me? I'm with me. Are you with me? You, we're with me. Okay. I'm hoping you comprehend. Prophetically, this is talking about the bowls of judge, judgment, representing Yahuwah, both sending forth as a witness, both producing an individual witness to prophecy, and together, both representing the whole people of Israel, the whole house of Israel, returning to the land. So the future witnesses before judgment are seen again at the end of history. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. You see? It's absolutely amazing. Isaiah declaring the end from his prophecy right here in chapter 8. Now, I'll read for you verse 3 of our text in chapter 8. Then said Yahweh to me, Call his name Mahal Shahal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have da'at, knowledge to cry, my Abba and my Ema, the richest of Damascus, and the plunder of Shamron shall be taken away before the Melech, the king of Ashur, Assyria. Yahweh spoke to me again, verse 5, saying, verse 6, For as much as this people refuses the Maim, the water of Shiloh that flows softly, and instead have their simcha, their joy in Retzin and Remaliah's son, verse 7, now therefore see, Yahweh brings upon them the Maim, the water of the river, strong and mighty, even the Melech of Ashur, the king of Assyria, and all his Tifereth, glory. And he shall come up over his channels and go over all of his banks. And he shall pass through Yehuda, and he shall overflow and pass over. He shall reach even to the neck, and by the stretching out of his wings, he shall fill the width of your land, O Emmanuel. Be shattered, O you people. You shall be broken in pieces, and listen. All of the far countries, prepare yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Dress yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to nothing. 
speak the word, and it shall not stand, for El is with us. So it's the king of Assyria who plunders and spoils Yahweh's people. I will commission him against a godless nation to pillage, to plunder, to spoilate for spoil. The truthful witness will, however, testify that Isaiah predicted these things before they even happened. The people then will be what? They're going to be without excuse because they heard the warning from the lips of the prophet himself. They did not see the signs of the times and they did not hear the heed of the words of the prophets. Can you see a people today that are just like that? No matter what you say, no matter how many times you speak about the truth of Yahweh and his son and what you're doing and how he's changed your life through the more growth that you have in his word, people are still... Now, now, now uh, will you be coming round our house for Christmas? Well, mother, how many times have I told you? I've had, the, I mean, 20 years with my mum. You know, and she still called me on Christmas Day. My brother, too. And I'm like, but I don't say, yeah, but we do. Yeah. Well, why are you calling me then? Yeah, but we do. Yeah. <sighs> Banging my head up against a brick wall. Hard to change, hard to change. Lead a horse to water, can't make him drink. You can tell him why you're doing everything, but if they haven't had the inward change and don't see, they'll be just like the children of Judah. And then the Assyrian kings come down. Then Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't heed the words. You didn't care. It wasn't important to you. It's important to me. It's important to my family. Truthful witnesses will testify in our day too. This is the time to hear and to heed the word of Yahweh before it becomes too late. The whole parable of the virgins, oil in the lamps. You see, the bowls are containing oil, but if those bowls don't contain oil, then they will contain what? Judgment. So what do you want to fill your bowls with? You've only got two options. Fill your bowls with the oil that comes from the flow of the menorah, Yahusha and the Ruach HaKodesh, or leave them empty and Yahuwah will fill them with judgment. And then you'll come and our bowls will be full with oil, not judgment, and you'll say, well, we want some of that. Oh, no, but yours were empty. Now they're full of judgment. You can't come and buy what we have because that took hard pressing to extract that oil, hard-pressing faith and coming up against all of that nonsense for all of these years and taking a stand and being a faithful, true witness. True witnesses because the people will be without excuse because they did not see the signs then as they will not see the signs now. They didn't heed the words then as they do not heed the words now. Masher Shalal Khash Baz. Hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. Masher Shalal Khash Baz. Hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. Assyria, B 
being the hostile superpower from the north that conquers by military might. And ancient Assyria, of course, like I said, does serve as a type of an end-type superpower that repeats this very scenario. So what is the end-time superpower? And again, you have many prophecy pundits looking at the Gog and Magog prophecies of the end-time superpower and wondering what is really going to kick off over there in Ukraine and really are we being drugged into another Vietnam? Are we being drugged into another Afghanistan? Are we really going to be printing for these people that we don't know? What are we involved in? The same old plunder, spoilage, and looking to come into this chaos and drag as many people as you can. But we need to see prophetically the implications of that. Verse 6, for as much as this people, verse 9, be shattered, O you people. So Yahweh, what is he doing between verse 6 and verse 9? For as much as this people, verse 9, be shattered, O you people. Yahweh is disavowing their covenantal status. Yahweh disavows their covenantal status. And this is a real thing that people don't seem to grasp. They don't seem to comprehend. What do you think will happen to a people that believe they have this special relationship, this special covenantal status that gives them a concession to disavow the commandments of God? Well, I've got this special relationship. We don't keep the commandments because I've got this special concession. I've got my own personal Jesus. Well, hang on a minute. It's never been like that. There's nowhere in Scripture where you can pull that from. There's always been a covenantal relationship, which is based upon the fear of Yahuwah and the keeping of his commandments. That defines the covenantal relationship. It's not a special relationship void of those. The special relationship is that you fear Yahweh and keep his commandments. That is the special relationship. The special relationship isn't abstract because here we've given the warning. Isaiah gives you the warning. Do not believe you have some special new covenant status that gives you a concession to disavow the commandments of God. If you think that, then what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Paul is explaining the covenantal relationship. And grace is what empowers you in the covenantal relationship. But people have used that as the concession card to get out of it. What do I mean? It's a funny thing, really. How it's been used for centuries, hesed, grace, to give a religious pacifier to a whole slew of people that are lukewarm. Grace, hesed. Of course, first appearance, 
Genesis chapter 8. Noah found Hesed grace in the sight of Yahweh. You would have never known it from the doctrinal rhetoric that we hear today. But Hesed, grace, appears three times more in the Old Testament than it does in the New Testament. Three times more. Grace is born in Genesis chapter 8. It appears the New Old Testament is full of far more grace than the New Testament. Oh, no, it's not. Well, yes, it is. Do a word study. Hesed. Three times more in the Old Testament. And it doesn't stop at Pentecost. Shavuot. Graced Hesed. Because it is Tanakh, it's Old Testament, it's Torah, its origin is not a license to sin. And it's not a license for a special relationship that voids you of any, any covenantal consequences to obedience. Meaning, we have grace, it's, in, it's supposed to empower us to live in a covenantal status. It's not to disempower us for some special relationship void of the real covenantal status. And that's why I love the Malkitetic message, because it goes back to the book of the covenant. It's all about covenant relationship, which is what Yahushua's blood, death, burial, and resurrection gave us access back into the covenant. So we want to find its parameters. Grace is the empowerment, really, then, isn't it? to live a holy, righteous, and godly life in a sick and perverted world. That's what it is. It's not a hall pass to lawlessness. Grace is not a hall pass to lawlessness. Grace is the empowerment to live a holy, righteous, and godly life in a sick and twisted Babylonian society. You see, the Christian church family is not under Yahweh's grace. Because if they were, they would be empowered to keep the commandments. Are they empowered to keep the commandments? No. So they cannot be under His grace. Because grace is what empowers you to keep the commandments and come into a covenantal status, which is fearing Yahweh and keeping his commandments. So what are they under if they're not under his grace? They're under his mercy, the withholding of just judgment deserved, because you should be judged for being so lawless and for trampling the blood of Messiah as a standard for why you don't keep the commandments. Yahweh's at some point, he's going to remove that mercy and then the bowls of judgment come. So the Christian church is not under Yahweh's grace. They're under his mercy. But you see, words mean things. And if you don't give the proper definitions to the sheeple, then they'll believe that mercy is grace and grace is mercy. And then they'll do the opposite of what they're supposed to do. They hold up the banner of Jesus and then break the commandments, thinking that they're empowered to do that. And you can see how it's been set up, because the sheeple don't know what words mean. Words mean words, as Brad Scott used to say. 
bless his soul. Words mean things. So we have to go back to the definitions. Hesed, grace, its Torah origin is so much more, three times more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. So we would find then that if the church were under Yahweh's grace, they would not be violating the Torah because grace empowers you to live a holy, righteous, and godly life, not a lawless life of church tradition. So we have to understand the terms. Justification, meaning just as if you'd never sinned. Justification declares you good, but it doesn't make you good. Justification declares you good, but it doesn't make you good. What makes you good? Sanctification. If we had just sat down when we first got saved and had a few word studies, grace has said, justification, sanctification, law, Torah, people would realize the truth, covenant. But we never did. And then we misappropriate words. And the next thing you know, you're off running down a broad road that leads to destruction. Words mean things, and this is what has left us afoul of the law, Yahweh's law and men's law. Just as men will use your ignorance of the law against you, so Yahweh will use your ignorance of the Torah against you too. Because it's all his natural law. Men will use your ignorance of the law against you. In fact, there's a maxim. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You try and, you try and find yourself in a... Oh, I didn't know. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, that's a maxim. It's Yahweh's maxim. Ignorance of the Torah, it's of no... Well, I've got Jesus. Ignorance of the Torah is of no excuse. You don't have a free hall pass. You are empowered by grace to keep the commandments. But you chose to use grace as a justification for license. That's the problem with religion. That's the problem with not listening to the prophecies set here by the prophet Isaiah. The church, brethren, has switched the definitions on you making you believe you are under grace when you are really under mercy. Rachamin. Mercy, Rachamin, usually always produces sanctification because it's a gift that leads to repentance. So these are word studies that we should all be doing. Changing grace has said, for mercy, Rachamin, has gaslit a whole religion into a place of complacency. The same kind of complacency that our prophet warns Judah and the Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalemites of right here. It's gaslighting. That's a modern term. But it's gaslighting. Grace, grace, that's gaslighting you. 
And there the sheeple have fallen. Look at verse 11. For Yahweh spoke this to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not follow in the derek the way of his people, saying, Do not regard as an alliance what this nation calls an alliance. Neither fear what they fear, nor be troubled by them. For Yahweh spoke this to me with a strong hand, verse 11. A strong hand. So we have to be careful. Because I can often communicate with a strong hand because I'm powerfully passionate about what Yahweh has done in my life. I'm powerfully passionate about the prophecies. I'm powerfully passionate as a person. That's just the way I am in life. But this is what I've learned. Anger and emotion are strategically counterproductive. Why did it take me 50 years to learn that? I'm learning it right now. Anger and emotion have been strategically counterproductive in my life. I have had to practice to stay calm and be objective. Anger and emotion are counterproductive productive to staying calm and having objectivity staying calm and having objectivity is what is going to equip the saints in this next season of life and if you are quick to anger and you are an emotional person it's going to be counterproductive for you in the tribulation and in life in general. But if you can make your enemies angry while staying calm yourself, then that's a good thing. If you can knock your enemies off balance, make your enemies emotional, make your enemies angry, and then they will lose objectivity. You'll knock them off, your squ- off their square while you stand on your square, right? If you can make your enemies angry while staying calm yourself, you have gained a decided advantage. Isaiah practiced this. He practiced this with absolute mastery. He put his enemies off balance and found a chink in their vanity through which he shook them with his prophecies. And he's a master of it. And I'm jealous because I'm like, oh, I want to be like that. He held the pen of the ready writer, striking the balance and knocking his enemies off their square because Isaiah practiced calmness and he had objectivity and then he made his enemies emotional and angry and they were counterproductive and therefore chaos ensued isaiah was the master of standing on his square and knocking their enemies off their square by 
them becoming emotional and angry and losing their balance. This is what I gleaned so far in eight chapters. Proverbs in the 18th chapter and the first verse says, He who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1. Now, Judah and the Jerusalemites, that's a big word for me today, they built a fortress. They built a fortress, believing it would protect them. But what does it say right there in Proverbs? What, you, you, you can isolate yourself up there in Jerusalem, Judah, Jerusalemites, and you think that that fortress is going to protect you? Is it not because you're pursuing selfish desires and you're breaking out against all sound judgment? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. He who isolates himself pursues selfish desires and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Do not build fortresses in your life to protect yourself. Do not build fortresses to protect yourself. Isolation is dangerous. How many times have you seen people get all prophetic with their, with their AR-15s and their rice and beans, and then they go and isolate themselves somewhere, thinking that's the remedy for the tribulation? That is not the remedy for the tribulation. That is not the remedy. That's a cult. A cult-ish behavior. Isolation is dangerous. Our world is a dangerous place. And enemies lurk in the chaos. It's true. They lurk in the chaos. And they wear masks and they masquerade. And oftentimes, they're right before you and you don't even see that you're, they're your enemies. Now, a fortress does seem like a good idea, doesn't it? It does. I'm out of here. I'm going to go and get into my compound. But isolation exposes you to more dangers than it protects you from because it cuts you off from valuable intelligence. We need intel. We need intel. Intel is the key. You see, it makes you stand out. Isolation makes you, it's counterproductive. It's emotional, and you most probably got angry at the world. I know I have. I get emotional, and I got angry and I want to go and build myself a compound. No. That's counterproductive. I need to have intel. I need to know what's going on prophetically and around me because I'm a watchman on the wall. Isolation, it makes you stand out and become an easy target. It's far better for us as the saints to circulate. We need to circulate with Mystery Babylon. Because when we circulate with Mystery Babylon in commerce, but we control our contracts, which is what I want to teach you all about, we find allies. We mingle in the mainstream. That's what we do. We mingle in the mainstream. You are shielded from your enemies when you're in a crowd. That's why we're to be in the world, but not of the world. 
control your contracts in Mystery Babylon's commercial stream, but you want to be in it, but not of it, because you get hidden within the crowd. There's an ancient Latin saying, Bene vixit que bene latuit. He lives well who conceals himself well. He lives well who conceals himself well. Keep it in the private. You put it on the public and you've just exposed yourself to mystery Babylon. Keep it in the private. He who lives well conceals himself well. That is being in the world and not of the world because isolation makes you a target. Isolation makes you a target. He lives well who conceals himself well. Look at verse 13. Set apart Yahweh Sevot himself. Him shall you fear and let him be your awe. And he shall be a place for refuge, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both houses of Israel. So you start talking about the two houses of Israel to your Christian brethren. They're like, what? Where's that in script? It's everywhere. And if you don't understand the two houses of Israel, then you actually don't understand two thirds of the Bible. Because two-thirds of the Bible is all about the restoration of the two houses of Israel. Another third is its impending judgment. And then the other third is about its restoration. Just as Ahaz proved disloyal to Yahweh, so Ahaz's people proved disloyal to Ahaz himself. They favor the waters of Shiloh, which flow gently, verse 6. That is, they, they favor that over the Davidic dynasty that Yahweh appointed to rule over them. They didn't want the Davidic dynasty. They wanted the waters of Shiloh, which flow gently. But they actually ended up being disloyal to Ahaz, just as Ahaz was disloyal to them. And so the waters of Shiloh burst its bank and flooded and caused chaos on their isolated scene. This is what Isaiah is breaking down for us here. Do you see it? This is a comparison between Ahaz and the Davidic dynasty. They chose the waters of Shiloh, which flow gently. Verse 6, that is over the Davidic dynasty that Yahweh actually appointed to rule over them. For conspiring to replace Ahaz, they will suffer worse than his rule. That is out of control river flooding beyond its banks. And that's the description here. The king of Assyria is that out-of-control river flooding beyond its banks. That's the king of Assyria at the height of his military power that comes down. So just as a river bursting it, its banks causes absolute plunder and mayhem, that is what is going to happen 
with the king of Assyria at the height of his power. That's what's being described here. Because they had conspired to replace Ahaz. Therefore, they're going to suffer even worse than his rule. And that's what happened. Verse 15. And many amongst both houses shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. I love this. Verse 16. Seal up the testimony. Seal the Torah among my disciples. Talmudim. And I will wait upon Yahuwah that hides his face from the house of Yaakov. And I will look for him. See, I and the children that Yahweh has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from Yahweh Sevoth, who dwells on the Mount of Zion. Look at verse 16. Seal up the testimony, seal the Torah among my Talmudim, and I will wait upon Yahweh that hides his face from Bet Yaakov, the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, we find in the gospel prophesying this very scene. You're familiar with the verse, right? But go, Yahushua says, but go first rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, he says, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And again, how think ye, if a man of a hundred sheep and one of them gone astray, doth not he leave the ninety-nine and go into the mountains and seeketh that which has gone astray? The prophecy unraveling in the New Testament there from this origin. You see, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, to the Torah and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because... There is no light in them. We have to have the Torah and the testimony of Yahushua to be the covenantal people. Prophesied right here. Then spake Yahushua again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Again. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And again, Yahushua answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? And if any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Again, it's written, Then Yahushua said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. And again it is written, While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Oh, soothe my soul. These things spake Yahushua. And then he departed and did hide himself from them. But again, it is written, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Do not abide in an anti-Torah belief system. Isaiah's prophecy 
was fulfilled in the days of Hezekiah. The prophesied Emmanuel, when the Assyrians besieged Jerusalem after Assyria had destroyed all the peoples and their lands. You see that in Isaiah chapter 36 and again in Isaiah chapter 37. Hezekiah serves as an end-time shadow of Yahweh's servant, while the enemy's outstretched wings simply alludes, I think, to the kind of modern warfare that is being ramped up right now over in Ukraine. Are we going to rely on an arm of flesh? Because that's what Mystery Babylon is relying on. Are we going to rely on an arm of flesh? Isaiah chapter 20 verse 5, Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1. No, we must rely on the Torah and the testimony. That defines our covenantal status and blessings. We circulate in the streams of commerce of mystery Babylon as a gray man. We control our contracts. We live in the private. We don't put things on the public record. And then when we live like that, we'll be ready to leave Mystery Babylon when she goes down in an hour. And because we've been in the private, we'll be able to plunder and take everything with us just as Moses and the Israelites did when they left Egypt. Yahweh wants to establish goodness, but we have to be willing to change the way we have lived with Mystery Babylon. It's time to come out of her now, my people, in preparation for the greater exodus that is going to happen in our lifetimes. Yahweh is with Emmanuel, yet Emmanuel's terms have been set and established. Emmanuel's terms of the covenantal status, they've been written in the New Testament for thousands of years. But why is it? that the covenantal terms haven't been explained. It's not as if the gospel writers and the writer of the book of Hebrews didn't give you the exact terms of covenantal blessing. But we never read it. Or we didn't look at the words because words mean things. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 gives you the covenantal terms. Turn there with me. We'll finish up there. Emmanuel's terms are set forth in Hebrews chapter 8, specifically verses 6. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. That's the King James Version. It's a pretty good translation. But it really fails when you do a word study. Because when you look at what 
word they translated into the English phrase which was established which was established that is where the king jemmy fell flat on its face because that word which they translated into which was established is a greek word and it's greek number 3549 nomo theteo nomo theteo it's the very same word that's defined earlier in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11 what is nomo nomo theteo what is nomo nomo nomos nomos law so was which was established actually is a greek word that's got law in it well why didn't they put that there they actually put it properly the king jimmy translated that word properly in hebrews chapter 7 verse 11 but why did they not translate it the same way in hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 because it was not conducive to their religion the funky monks knew that if they translated it properly then they would be giving people the covenantal terms and they wanted the covenantal terms to be with the pope or with the protestants if they translated greek number 3549 properly nomothetao they would have translated it just as they had in hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11 received the law what does received the law mean given as torah right received the law did you receive the law i've just given you the torah that's the same greek word nomo theteo so really hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 how would you translate that if you were going to be consistent with the king jimmy translation of hebrews chapter 7 verse 11 because in hebrews chapter 7 verse 11 it is written therefore if perfection were by the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law nomo theteo for under it the people received the law nomo theteo what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of melchizedek and not be called after the order of aaron so now take that translation nomo theteo of hebrews 7 verse 11 plug it in right where it appears in hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 correct the translation and now you've got the covenantal terms of yahusha's death burial and resurrection laid out to you what are the covenantal terms with our new translation but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant which has been given as torah on the basis of better promises try and teach that from your sunday church pulpit you're telling me that yahusha has mediated a better covenant and the terms of that covenant are that it's been given as torah based upon better promises yes better promises better blood better sacrifice and the promise 
of a better life. It's called a resurrection. It's all better, but it's all Torah. It's better Torah. How about that? Why? I've got to say it's willful and defiant, high-handed sin against Yahuwah that the translators do in that. I'm going to step out on a, on a limb on that one. Why did they translate it correctly in Hebrews 7.11 and then translate it incorrectly in Hebrews 8 verse 6? It's the same word. You just translated it correctly in the previous chapter. So they already knew how to translate nomotheteo. And it's got the word nomos in it. Nomo, which is law, any law. But no more the Teo, it's Yahweh's law, the Torah, given as Torah, on the basis of better promises. It's a word that's used today in all realms, obfuscation. They're obfuscating, they obfuscate. Why did the King Jimmy translate Nomothetaeo, Greek number 3549, correctly in Hebrews 7, verse 11, as received the law, i.e., given as Torah, then obfuscate the covenantal terms in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, mistranslating Nomothetaeo as which was established? Makes no sense to me. It's obfuscation. Because if you don't know the covenantal terms, you will be doomed to exactly what happened to the Jerusalemites and the Judahites as they isolated themselves up there awaiting the Assyrian. Do you want to be like that? No. Not in the end times. The Assyrian is coming. There's a warmongering everywhere, robbery and plunder as they send out debt instruments from this country over to debt instruments of that country. It's all part of the IMF obfuscation of the reality there ain't no money, and there hasn't been since March 9th, 1933. You're all just dealing with negotiable instruments. That's all this is. We live in the world of the statutory law merchant, the maritime, international admiralty maritime beast that has come up onto the land and is devouring the inhabitants of the land because ignorance of the Torah is no excuse and ignorance of men's law is no excuse too. You'll always be plundered. You'll be plundered by Yahuwah, if you obfuscate the Torah, and you'll be plundered by Babylon, she'll devour you if you obfuscate her laws too. Same result, because it is Yahuwah's highest law that all laws come from. They obfuscate Yahuwah, of course, because they hate him, but they are bound by his word, even if they don't want to admit or believe it. They're still bound by it. Look at verse 19 and we'll finish up here. And, we, and when they shall say to you, speak to them that have familiar ruachim, and to sorcerers that whisper and mutter, should not a people seek for their Elohim? That's all that people are doing today. Seeking for familiar spirits. Right? 
seeking for, they'll be doing that in the metaverse, looking for a match. Whatever their spirit is, they look for an AI simulated spirit for them. And there's a match. Because that's the way. They'll be seeking familiar spirits and sorcerers that will whisper and mutter whatever they want to justify their lawlessness. And that's what they're doing. Oh, they'll give me what they want. Oh, yes. Oh, they'll, oh, oh so I'll go with them. No, you're supposed to be seeking Yahweh, your Elohim. Who asks the dead about the living? You're going to go and ask AI chat about the living? It's a chat bot. It's dead. It's a fiction. You're going to go and ask Google? It's a fiction. It's dead. What kind of response do you think you're going to get? Like kind after like kind. A dead response. It's not going to bring you life. It's not going to give you happiness. It's going to give you joy. Who asks the dead about the living? To the Torah and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. And they shall pass through it, hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall be angered. And they will curse their Melech, their king, and their Elohim whilst looking upward. That's bold. That's bold. And they shall look to the earth and see tribulation and darkness, gloom in anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Do you see people today? They're driven to it. They are dri they are they have an insatiable if I see another bloody t-shirt with a skull on it, another piece of jewelry with a skull on, you should better not be, look at your clothing. If it has skulls on it, it's a death culture. It's pirates of your Caribbean. It's, it's nonsense. It's a death culture. You're being driven into darkness. It's everywhere. The very names they bear indicate what Yahweh will actually do. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Hasten the plunder. Hurry the spoil. Shir Yashub. Which one do you prefer? I'll take the latter. A remnant shall repent. That's me. The other ones, they're running into darkness, right? And that will hasten the plunder and hurry the spoil. Which name are you going to take? I'll take the latter. Shir Yeshub. A remnant shall repent. Yeshub. Shuv. Shuv. You hear it, don't you? Hear that Hebrew word in there? Yeshuv. Yeshuv. Shuv. Repent. Teshuvah. Repent. Turn round. Turn round. And go back the direction from whence you came. Which, where did I come from? You came from the two houses of Israel, you idiot. You're not a pagan Gentile. You're not some Roman pontiff slave. Okay? I know you think you are, but you're actually a man of the land. You're a sentient, sentient moral being. You're not a fiction. Go back and graft back in. 
But no, we've been turned the wrong way. Shear Yeshub, a remnant shall repent and return. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, it's all in the names. Emmanuel. Yah is with us. Yeshayahu. Yahuwah will save. Yahuwah may hide his face from his apostate people. Verse 17. But not from those of you among whom he dwells. Does he dwell amongst you? Does he dwell in your heart? Does he dwell in your lifestyle? Does he dwell in the Torah and to the testimony? If you have these, then you are of him. Covenantal status. Hebrews 8 verse 6 defined nomotheteo based upon a Torah of better promises, better blood, better covenant, better, 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 better Yahushua better than all the prophets, a prophet like unto Moses, but better, 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 better. Emmanuel, Yahuwah is with us. Isaiah in the 57th chapter and the 15th verse, I'll finish with this. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Isn't that where you want to inhabit? I want to inhabit eternity. And eternity started the day I got saved. I'm living in eternity right now. Death, where is thy sting? You can't hurt me. I said that the other... You can't. Renew your mind. What can they do to you? You're living in eternity now. It's just going to be a walk and a piercing through the veil. But we're living in eternity now. We have eternal life. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Kadosh, holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth for the spirit of should fail before me and the souls which I have made for the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and I smote him I hid me and was wroth and he went on frowardly in his way of his heart I have seen his ways but I will heal him and I will lead him also and I will restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. You've got to mourn for your sin. And he'll restore you. But if you live frowardly, then you will be destroyed. And that's exactly what Isaiah was communicating to the Jerusalemites and to the house of Judah. Shuv, return to the two houses of Israel. And the only way you get to is by the Torah and the testimony. And if they speak any other word other than this, then the truth is not in them. Come and find out some more truth by coming to the Passover here. Sign up in the comments section. You'll see it. 
in the description of this teaching or you can fast forward and just click right on the link we're going to be celebrating right down here on the rivers of the Willamette great for mikvah April 2nd to 4th on the Roman calendar but of course it's going to be Aviv 14th the Passover coming up and we will celebrate the feasts and rejoice in the name of Yahuwah as we gather all 12 tribes that are scattered abroad it's Yahusha that gathers them we're just the prophetic prophetic voice here at Torah to the tribes calling you to go and look for that one lost sheep and gather them in too but we know it's truly Yahusha in us that is the gatherer we have to be that people because we're living in eternity now we're just going to pierce the veil when he decides it's time but until then we circulate in mystery Babylon as the gray man control our contracts and we live in the private don't put anything on the public record go and look at the public record and see where your name appears and then change your status so that you can plunder the plunderer and that is exactly what the children of Israel were told to do with Pharaoh as we will deal with this pharaonic fish that we see today swimming up the rivers over there in Ukraine and trying to lead us all down the wormhole to destruction it's not going to happen for me and it's certainly not going to happen for you if you have the ears to hear the eyes to see exactly how the prophet says there was the Assyrian then as there is the Assyrian now Shabbat Shalom we'll see you next week Yahweh willing as we continue the fifth Hebrew gospel of Isaiah Yeshayahu the prophet greet one another as you exit and carry